everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Universe Within Podcast. This episode of the show is being sponsored by the Amazonian Plant Healing Center, the Temple of the Way of Light. I've worked at the temple for a number of years now, uh, and I can really attest to the quality of the work that they do. They are located in the Peruvian Amazon near the city center of Iquitos, and they run 12-day workshops in which they have six ceremonies working with ayahuasca. Um, they're working in a lineage of a group of people called the Shipibo people who have a really long line of working not only with ayahuasca, but with a lot of the plants in the jungle. And it's a really amazing place to go very deeply into this work. So if you're looking to experience ayahuasca, to do it in a, a rather traditional setting in the Amazon where the, the, the plant ayahuasca comes from, um, it's, a, it's a really amazing place to go. There's an amazing support staff, uh, amazing healers, um, an amazing integration team. And uh, really just an amazing environment to, to go and do really deep work. So if you would like information about the temple, uh, they are back open now. Uh, unfortunately, due to the pandemic, they were closed for, for quite a while. But since uh, August of this year, they've been uh, open again and they are up and running and uh, you can go and work with them now. So if you'd like more information, you can check out their website at templeofthewayoflight.org and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Also, my friend and colleague, Marav Artsy, who I interviewed in episode 28 of the podcast, are running plant dietas in the Sacred Valley here in Peru. Uh, we just finished one, and uh, we will be running our next one in February of, of the following year. Uh, we, we have quite a, a few planned for next year, but we still don't have the schedule uh, exact. Um, a lot of that is due to the, the worldwide situation and, and trying to figure out the best travel plans and, and how to do things. Um, but we have February scheduled here in the Sacred Valley, and that's a really amazing opportunity to go really deeply into this world of plants and plant medicine, uh, a lot of which I, I spoke about today or my guest spoke about today uh, in the podcast. Um, it's, a, it's a beautiful opportunity to go really deeply into plant work, a period of isolation, fasting, uh, and ingesting these plants and, and really experiencing the the amazing benefits that that can have. So if you would like more information about that, you can check out my website at uh, nicotianarustica.org, and I will put a link to that in the show notes. My guest for today uh, is a really fascinating guy, really, uh, I think, beautiful human being. Uh, his name is uh, Samerd. And uh, he works here in the Sacred Valley, predominantly working with uh, Wachuma, San Pedro. Um, he also does a lot of work with uh, diet, um, sound, and uh, it was really fascinating. I, I didn't know a lot about him, but I had heard some really good things. And um, we got together and sat down and, and had a really beautiful conversation. I, I, I think he, he has a really beautiful ability to, to put this work into very relatable terms to speak about it from a lot of different angles, different traditions, and uh, and really put uh, a lot of pieces together in a really beautiful way. So I think you all will get a lot out of this episode and enjoy it. As always, if you feel like you're getting something from this podcast, from these episodes, and you're able to support, that's a really big help. That's what allows me to continue to, to, to make these uh, episodes in this podcast. A really good way, if you do feel called to support, is uh, Patreon. 
you can sign up for Patreon, and uh, there's different series, uh, tiers you can sign up for, and each of those tiers gives you something back. Uh, things like early access to shows, bonus material, a chance to do Q&As, um, and that's a, a really big help. Uh, it's always one of my favorite things when I see the little Patreon uh, notification go off that I have a new uh, patron. So uh, if you're able to do that, that's a really big help, and thank you for that. To all the people who have done that, thank you very much uh, for all of your continued support. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, it's a, it's a really big help and uh, and I appreciate all your support. There's also the ability to direct donate via PayPal. I'll put a link to those in the show notes. You can also join the YouTube channel. That gives a lot of the same perks as the Patreon page, but it's via YouTube. Um, and then if you are not able to do that, uh, subscribing to the show is a really big help. So if you're listening or viewing on YouTube, hitting the subscribe button, turning on the notification bell, liking the video, also leaving comments, uh, all of those things are really good for the algorithms to help uh, to get the show out to a bigger audience. And then with the audio version uh, going and uh, subscribing or following to it, and if you're listening on Apple Podcast, uh, if you can leave a starred rating and a short review, that's also a really big help. So I think that's it for the intro. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. I hope you enjoy this episode with Samerda. And, uh, and I think that's it. Running out from the maze. Running out from the maze. Running out of the maze today. Running out from the maze. Running out from the maze. Running out from the maze today. Running out from the maze, running out from the maze, run out of the maze today. Yeah, great. Let's uh, let's see what happens. <laughs> Super excited. This is uh, this is very new to me. Mm. Well, welcome. Um, so maybe just to start. Just um, usually, it's nice just to hear a little bit about your background. I. I think I read on your website you're from Iran originally. Originally, I'm Lebanese. Or Lebanese, that, that was right, Lebanon, Lebanon yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I was born and I grew up there until my early 20s. And I uh, left and I came to the jungle in Peru. And since then, I've been uh, working with shamanism. And mm. I've been doing that my all, all my adult life. Mm. Yeah. So what was that? Uh, it's interesting. I, I spent a little time in Lebanon and it's, uh, it's oh, really? an interesting country. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's, a nice a, place to be. there's an interesting mix of, of Christianity, Islam, of, of kind of the ancient and, yes. and the modern. And there's like 18 religions in Lebanon mm -hmm. and they're all very, very serious. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like a, a very important aspect of the culture of the country. Mm hmm. It was it was very interesting for me because I I spent some time in France so I, I can speak a bit of French and uh -huh. but it's very fascinating especially in like Beirut seeing just people switching between English French uh, right. Arabic and <laughs> that's um, true and I'd spent quite a bit of time in the Middle East and I had never seen like a mosque and then a bar right next to it and people drinking on the street that and is it was very a true. very interesting uh, <laughs> kind of uh, mix of things. Um, so what what was it that that uh, what was that impulse to to leave uh, Lebanon and and come to Peru? Was Peru the first place you came to 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 begin working with plants? Yes, I actually before coming to Peru, I haven't done any psychedelic any. I didn't even smoke cannabis. Mm -hmm. 
you know, the common drugs or the legal drugs that I had tried back then, which are alcohol and tobacco, and I used to smoke, and I used to, you know, drink alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, but all my life, since I can remember, I was always, you know, exploring things, reading books. Um, I remember back then when I was 15 or 16 in Lebanon, the only book that I found was a, was a book for Osho about meditation in French, that was the first thing I was able to start exploring these things, and this is when I started meditation. And since then I started moving on and on and on and exploring more and going deeper into alchemy and more into the understanding of how energy works and how emotions works and what our thoughts and, you know, the whole uh, structure of the psyche and consciousness in general. And uh, one day I was uh, watching a documentary. Uh, I remember it was from David Wilcock. And he was talking about a movie called Contact. Uh, I think it was Sigoni Weaver. Where they get this message from aliens. And in the message it's a speech for Hitler. However, underneath the speech is the catalog of how to build a machine that travels into time and other dimensions. And in the documentary, he says that in this movie, we are mimicking uh, the magnetic field that opens in the pineal gland when we put DMT in it. And he shared about ayahuasca. Mm. Two weeks later, I was (laughs) in the jungle drinking ayahuasca. And uh, the impulse was really exploration and uh, going deeper into this and understanding more. However, the first time I drank ayahuasca, it was such a difficult experience that I understood that, okay, I think I have a lot of things I need to work on in myself before I even, you know, look at anything else. And this is how my healing journey started. This is how my trauma healing started. And, uh, you know, my growth in all this started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, before the plants, we, the mind, at least from my experience, the psyche is a little bit arrogant and the mind thinks it knows everything. After the plants, I understood that I have a lot to learn, and I need, and my journey is not even starting yet. So it was, it was kind of this, this deep curiosity to understand consciousness, pretty the much, mind. Yeah, pretty much. And I was, there was the energy of the trauma deep inside of me that was, you know, propelling me to find a solution for whatever I was feeling inside of me, not knowing that this is what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And. The, like a, a, and again, you can speak whatever you want, but it, it was like a personal trauma or just the, like the trauma of just being alive? and The trauma was uh, me being born and needing to stay in the hospital in a cubicle for 11 months. And then the day I was out of the hospital, I there was a gas leakage in the house and there was a gas explosion. And I went back to the cubicle, however, not being on my own, but being on my own with a lot of pain for like a couple of years. And so the first two, three years of my life is simply solitude and a lot of pain. And there's, there are parts in my psyche that thought that this is how it is, you know, growing up. I thought that this is how life is and this is how everyone is, um, you know, until I started to, to understand that, okay, there's something off here, I need to figure out my shit, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, it took me about 
seven years between ayahuasca and doing diets. You know, you're doing six, seven diets a year. And Sanango and the other trees and whatnot. And then I started integrating more and more San Pedro in my practice and mountain shamanism. And there was a part of me that really, really loved that. And I started going deeper and deeper in that. And the combination of all these plants at one point I was able to pull uh, from my mind, the center. And I was able to free it and go back to the heart. And that started harmonizing my entire system. And it took me another two years to feel like, okay, I think I'm onto something here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you, are you able to describe what that kind of call is from that place of trauma? Because I think that's something a lot of people feel. Yes. Um, but it's, I think sometimes it's difficult to put into words, like what, totally. what that is. Totally, especially when it's prelingual. The person is looking for something, but they don't know what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they start looking outside because it's the only uh, logical way the mind knows how to look. The mind doesn't have the capacity, probably does with a lot of training, but in general, the mind has a tendency to look outside. And so it looks like people are feeling something they don't know what they're looking for. They feel like there's something missing. And they keep looking for it in events, in people, in substances, in a lot of things like that. On the other hand, because of that distortion in the energy field, the person tends to go a lot into substances. Uh, cannabis, uh, porn, alcohol, sugar. Uh, all these things have the tendency to try to calm this little storm or this big storm for the person you know inside of them uh, just so that they can ease the pain and so between the trauma and addictions that become eventually a coping mechanism the person is really either stuck in the substance or really looking for all these things mm-hmm. yeah. and you, you mentioned you you hadn't really worked with um you know, kind of other substances other than alcohol and tobacco. Was that? That was uh, before I visited the jungle. Right. I I used to be a normal uh, person in the social structure, I guess. Mm-hmm. Was that difficult coming from Lebanon to do that? Did you feel like pressure of, you know, like, oh, my God, I'm going to work with drugs and, you know, it's... Uh... <laughs> you know, me personally, I didn't feel that pressure. The first night of ayahuasca, because it was such an impact on my mind, and the ceremony was very intense that night, to the point where my psyche literally uh, cracked and I, uh, and I blacked out. Um, and I did feel like, uh, before I blacked out, I was so scared because I thought I... I'm in a place where, you know, probably these people, I heard about these tribes in the jungle that eat human flesh. And when I was like, fuck, I think I've ended up here. This is the end of my life, you know. Um, However, in Lebanon, I did notice that a lot of people were very concerned from a religious perspective. Whether you're coming from a Christian background or a Muslim background or whatever religion, you know, religion is a very, very rigid structure. And everything outside of it becomes either the enemy or a problem. 
And I was doing things and I was talking about things that were very, very different than go to the church on a Sunday. And so people became very cautious around me because they didn't want to be all the time seen with me, which is something I understood completely and I was okay with. Um, also, I noticed a lot of the people who are very religious decided to stay away from me and you know unfriend me on Facebook and whatever social medias. So, yeah, it was it was a little bit of a challenge. However, you know, I didn't stay much there. Two, three years into it and I was gone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, in the beginning, I would say yes, there was some resistances, but then I don't know because I wasn't there. It's interesting because I, I read it, it was probably a couple of years ago now, and maybe it's not true, but uh, that there was a guy, I think he was Persian from Iran, and he, he came to uh, the Amazon and started working with plants, mm -hmm. uh, predominantly ayahuasca. And then he went back to to Iran, or maybe he was somewhere else in, in Europe living. And um, and I think he started working with more of these uh, kind of European versions, whether it was acacia or Syrian rue, I, I, I can't remember. But um, <clears throat> somehow and I believe it was Iran, but somehow he started talking to an imam there or something, and there was this big study and you know, as to whether like plants like ayahuasca were right. were kind of halal in a way, like whether they were right. in alignment with, with Islam. And from what I remember, uh, actually there was like a, I think it's a fatwa, like a, a law that mm -hmm. actually said, as long as you're working with this like in a religious way or in a in a way that's like guided in this kind of religious aspect it was actually in accordance with islam right. which i thought was quite fascinating um that, that a major religion would say this is actually not out of alignment True. with religion True. you know the only thing i know about that is um is an article i read online my background coming from Lebanon is from the Catholic side, so I don't know much about the other side. Uh, definitely not in Iran, because I don't know. I've never been there, so I don't know. But I, I think it's fascinating that this is a possibility. I also, uh, not long ago, you know, given all the things happening in the world, I, I also looked a little bit into Afghanistan and I saw that people smoke hash 10 to 20 times a day because it's the only drug they can use given that alcohol is forbidden in the country. Mm -hmm. And so it's very common that people do that. So, yeah, all this for me is very positive. The simple fact that the plants are allowed in as a replacement or as something that is okay to, to use, for me, it's wonderful. Mm -hmm. So you you had this uh, this first ayahuasca experience, and it you know, I mean sounds like it was quite quite kind of earth shaking <laughs> it was, it in a way. Deep. It was a very big dose. It, what, wasn't, uh, it was an elephant dose. <laughs> yeah. So what what gave you that drive to to go back? Because uh, I, I think for a lot of people, you know, it, it's very interesting. Uh, 
kind of people's journeys with some of these plants. Like sometimes yeah. they're very gentle with people. Sometimes they're very loving. Uh, sometimes right. they, they, they shift things. Like, you know, right in the beginning. Obviously, the, the more one works, there can be different things that come up. But I always find it interesting because that was a bit my experience with uh, tobacco. Like actually, ayahuasca was very, uh, I would say, very loving with me. Um, right. The, the, especially in the beginning when I, I mean, it was very much like a shift of <clears throat> just seeing awe and being put in other places that, that I always had some sense that that existed, but, but I never like experienced that on a, on an experiential level. And so it was very, very like paradigm shifting for me. Uh, but then when I think of tobacco, like the first time I drank tobacco, I thought I was going to die for sure. Yes, tobacco uh, is no joke. <laughs> but it's interesting because, you know, different people have different reactions to different plants. They, they can work with people in different ways. So, But I always find it interesting when someone has a very big experience the first time they, they use it because a lot of, for a lot of people that's like, okay, like no more, I don't want to do that. But it's always interesting when people come back. So, like, what do you think it was in you that that didn't run away from that experience? Well, first of all, the next three years after my first ceremony, every single time I went to drink ayahuasca, I was terrified for, like, a good 100, 150 ceremonies. Literally, I used to sit in front of the maloka for like two, three hours, just holding my knees and getting ready to go inside. Um, the ayahuasca was very loving, but I was not okay. And so, you know, what I, my perspective is that plants, especially plants like ayahuasca, San Pedro, and, you know, the powerful psychedelics, they put our mind on steroids. And so the ayahuasca was only showing me what's inside of me. Um, and this is how I see it. I'm sorry, what was the question again? Basically that, but yeah, I guess like what, what gave you that, that, that uh, drive to or courage to, to, to keep going? Yeah, I was, I, after my first ceremony, I literally woke up the next morning and I was like, I found what I was looking for. That was the only, uh, you know, uh, conclusion I had. And I just kept coming back. I just kept coming back for years until one day uh, there was one of the shamans I was working with. He told me, the, the spirit seems to like you and you probably want to move here. And, you know, I went back, I packed and I moved, moved to Peru. So in that in that beginning, you were going back and forth between Lebanon and Peru. And, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, I wasn't really aiming to be a shaman or to work in shamanism. I was more aiming into exploring and growing more into this world that I found it to be amazing. And I found that, uh, you know, the, the normal world, you, you graduate... You find a job, you probably find a place to live, you probably find someone to live with, maybe you make a family, and then you die. And for me, thinking like that was a disaster. I was like, this is definitely not a life I want to live. And so 
doing a ceremony like ayahuasca and exploring and uh, uh, revealing to me, you know, the plant revealed to me the, the possibility that there's another world that I can work with, for me was a big revelation. And I was like, yeah, this is it. Um, I'm definitely doing that. Yeah, I, I always find that to be, I mean, maybe because it was more of my path, but but even I think a lot of a lot of doctors or, or people who I really respect, it seems to be a common path where it, it's not, there's always something in me that, that gets a little weary, like when I hear like, oh, I, I want to be a shaman or I want to be a healer. It's... Right. Because it seems like it's coming potentially more from a place of ego, and a like big, I a big uh, chunk of the time, yes. Yeah, and uh, <clears throat> like I, I practice uh, martial arts, uh, especially jujitsu, and and That's nice. I find it amazing because I, I see so many correlations, and it, it, it's a very like practical art, and so it's like the the lessons are very very kind of in your face like yes. there, there's nowhere to hide <laughs> yes. in that and there's there's kind of no there's no bullshit in a way it's like this is real this is not this works it I doesn't um, but I also you know I see that in in like jujitsu too is you know most of the really good teachers I don't think they started like wanting to be a teacher, a jujitsu expert who is, no, I just want to get better. Like I, I just practice, I practice, get better, get better. And then eventually someone comes to them and like, Hey, like I'm struggling with this move. Could you help me? Well, well yeah, I'm, I'm not bad at that move. So here's what I know. And, right. and, you know, kind of in that way, it just, it, it progresses. So, um, yeah, I always find that, a that seems to be, a I don't know what the word is, but maybe not noble is not the right word, but it seems to be something that's in alignment with with just like a natural progression of, of how life moves. Yeah, and you know, this is how I see it as well. Um, I know for myself that I never thought about it this way, in a, in a way that, okay, I'm going to learn this and apprentice this and have this title and do it this way. In fact, I was... I was trying to get out of it for many years. And every time I used to leave, if I would be, not forced, but things would align in a way where I would eventually come back. Um, and I learned that this is something that we don't get to choose. It's something um, that... Uh, plays through us and through our life experience and the spirits have a lot of, a lot to say in that and they have a lot to uh, to guide us in what we are doing and how we are doing it and eventually the titles uh, the names the 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 labels of the practice all these are given to us by people who uh, who see us practicing um, like when I was doing the website, I was writing it with a friend of mine who is a very good editor. And she told me, Samuel, we need to call you a shaman. <laughs> I was like, no way. I'm, I'm definitely not doing that. She's like, but how will people know? And so it took me like a couple of weeks of give and take with her to accept the fact that, okay, now I will put that title on the website. But I'm very, very careful about... Uh, 
about these things because they feed a lot of ego. Mm -hmm. And for me, working with traumas, working with aligning energies, working with, you know, whatever I'm doing now, which is food therapy and sound therapy and shamanism and all these things together, um, they were just a natural progression of what I was doing and a very, very logical understanding like, oh, we just healed that, but this is not the whole picture. We need to add these parts. And eventually the whole practice became you know, uh, its own its own structure. Uh, so I didn't think about it that this is how I want to do it or this is what I want to be called or all these things. It's just a progression of how the work was being done. Mm -hmm. And I'm very careful about that because a lot of the shamans I worked with ended up not okay, ended up not here anymore. And uh, I attribute that to being lost in titles and ego and identity and wanting to be something we're, we're not really. Mm -hmm. yeah. So after, <clears throat> when you decided to, to come back to Peru uh, after these few years, um, you continued working with ayahuasca? You were, you were dieting in this time? What was... Yeah, since... 2009, I started my doing dietas. I don't know if it was 9 or early 2010, I'm not sure. And uh, I've been doing dietas since then, until now. Uh, like, until now, I still diet at least five times a year, four times a year. Um, and I've worked with ayahuasca all that time since, yeah. However, now my practice has pulled out a little bit from the practice of the tradition itself. Because uh, I saw, first of all, I saw that there's a modern, modern human perspective, uh, which, a little, which is a little bit different than the traditional perspective. And there, there needed to be a language that blends both in a way that it is, that is understandable for us and the uh, and the modern world um, second of all i added other plants that i worked with because when i made my pact with the spirits i told them that i want to work with all the plants it's not about ayahuasca only or the trees only or sanango only or tobacco only for me i want to work with the plants and use every plant where it can be the most efficient and the most healing for the person. Basically, when it serves the purpose the most. Um, and so, yeah, I've been working with ayahuasca, but along the way I've added many plants, including San Pedro, obviously, which has become a major pillar in how I practice. And, and other plants that, uh, some of them are not psychedelic, some of them are, some of them are psychoactive. Um, yeah, but ayahuasca have been since the beginning, and I'm still practicing with ayahuasca. Yes. How would you how would you describe that process of dieting? If if people are unfamiliar with that, or maybe they've heard of it, but they they haven't done a diet themselves, and they're they're curious. Right. So so a dieta is. Uh, so here we are back again to where are we looking at it from, and so I'm going to share a couple of perspectives just to 
to have a, a you know a, a clearer uh, picture or to paint a clearer picture about the the whole thing. So adieta is so to start with. The concept of uh, being a physical body is a little bit different when you're looking at it from a dieta perspective. Because from a dieta you're looking at the energy body or the luminous body. And what you're doing is you are bringing the energy field from the spirit and putting it in the energy field of the physical body, of the human or the body. And then from there it aligns the frequencies, it aligns the energies and it starts manifesting into physicality an aligned energy and so this is what we call healing and so <clears throat> the plants go in and they start pushing all the distorted energies out and this is why sometimes uh, dietas are not comfortable and they feel very cathartic and they feel not okay um, and what they do is they align all these energies of the body so this is how they heal now from a modern perspective the plants that we put in the dieta brew are, uh, are plants that pull inflammation out, they open the kidneys, they allow flow of energy, they allow flow of lymphatic system. And so they allow uh, uh, the deep cleansing of the physical body and the person becomes aligned and feels better and feels healed. So this is if the person is looking for healing. And we use the technology of water where you put the brew, uh, the barks of the plants in the water or the leaves or whatever you're dieting. And then the water has the memory, has the capacity to hold memory. So it holds the memory of the structure of the spirit, which is the plant. And then we put it in the body. So the water serves as a transporter of the, f of the spirit into the system. Now, that is one way to diet. The other way to diet is to keep dieting un until our energy field becomes made and completely aligned by the energies of the plants. And when we do that long enough, we earn the title of the plant we are dieting because we hold the energy of that plant. And this is where you have an ayahuasquero or a huachumero or whatever the person is dieting. In the jungle, there's a there's a big practice of tree shamans because there's a lot of trees in the jungle and you have paleros, which, are, which is uh, the word of palo and palo is trunks. And so uh, this is another practice uh, that exists in the jungle. So this is, uh, this is dieting in general. Um, and you know, when you add the new energies in the system, the person starts thinking differently, the person starts feeling differently, and these are all new energies that eventually become identified with, and the person thinks that this is their new identity. And for that, the dieta needs a lot of time of restrictions to allow all the energies to settle down. Otherwise, if we use other substances like alcohol or sexual activities or whatever, it can be very distorting for the new energy. And eventually it gets rigidified as a distorted energy and the person is not okay and they need another dieta to you know align the older dieta yeah that's great when now just just one more thing uh, there are diets that are done for deep cleansing and there are plants that are super powerful one of them is tobacco the other one is sanango and um you know, they serve when someone has things that are really aggressive, 
you know, witchcraft, uh, things that n need, uh, you know, the big boys to come and really do very heavy work on them. So these dietas serve to, to help cleanse the system. So there's healing, there's learning, and there's cleansing, which can be, you know, one type of, of healing. Mm -hmm. yeah. Two words that came up. One is, is, is spirit. How would, you, how would you describe that to, really to anyone, but especially maybe to someone who, like that word sounds very foreign. Yeah, I, I totally understand, especially someone who's not used to working uh, with spirits <laughs> and uh, the idea is from a mo from a modern perspective uh, a spirit is an energy field it's a magnetic field and you know the universal structure of of anything in the world is a heart center and then you have a center from here up and a center from here down this is a good example and so the the higher center is the male center, which is where the the coding of the the shape is. And so in the human form is the third eye, and it's how we shape the world. And then you have another center that is from the the heart down, which is all the emotions, all the intuition, and all the unmanifest things, but they are very real as well. So a spirit is a combination of all of them together, and the shape. Uh, you know, the, the, the shape is the actual shape of the spirit. And the energy of it is what we don't see, but we feel. And so from that perspective, anything that is not seen as part of the whole, as a consciousness, you can see it as a spirit. So a tree is a spirit. An animal is a spirit. A human is a spirit. A thought is a spirit. Um... A planet is a spirit. Water is a spirit. Uh, all these things are spirits. And so when you look at a plant, the plant has a shape. And it's exactly the shape of the plant itself. And it has an energy field. And so when we put it in our bodies, our energy communicates with the energy of the plant. And our third eye sees the plant from its shape. And so this is how we can engage with it. This is why if you want to talk with a plant, you eat it. Um, and so this is what I think a spirit is. A spirit is when the mind decides to see something as separate from the whole. That becomes an entity that we call a spirit. And it can be disembodied, it can be physical, it can be fixed like, you know, metal or earth or... And it can be volatile, like air and fire. All these are spirits. So this is uh, this is my perspective on what a spirit is. And so uh, sorry. In the modern world, people think spirits are like ghosts or spirits of the dead or whatnot. But no, everything in the universe is a spirit because everything has its own energy and its own shape, and everything has a center in the heart. So why do you think, uh, especially in, in this work and world, <clears throat> there's this emphasis on, on plant spirits, <clears throat> you know, very, very specifically in terms of... You mean the modern trend of psychedelics? Not just modern, but, but also traditional. Like th this idea that, you know, as you said, to, 
to come into contact with that spirit, we have to ingest the plant. Right. What for you is it that's special about plants uh, that allows us to, as you said, you know, clean, to, to heal, to learn? Why, why plants? You know, why not my <clears throat> maybe fire or or rock or? Well, this is a this is a very good question. I personally think uh, plants are our uh, our best ally as a species. Plants feed us. Plants teach us. Plants heal us. Uh, plants align our energies. Um, and plants are our gateway to other dimensions. In our body, we have receptors to receive all the plants. And so when we put a mushroom inside our body, when we put ayahuasca inside our body, when we put San Pedro inside our bodies, our energy field blends with the energy field of the plant. And that vibration opens a dimension. A dimension is a frequency. The, the key is the frequency uh, itself. And so when we put that frequency in our energy field, the plants, we start perceiving the dimension of the plants. And that includes the feelings, the emotions, and the third eye center where we are seeing other things that are not seen in the dimension of earth. Because earth also is a dimension. Our physical body is a dimension. And so uh, the capacity to allow us to go into other dimensions to see our thoughts, to expand our mind, to learn new things, makes plants very, very important historically. Church, pre-church, Dionysus, the, the Americas, the Australia, uh, Asia, all of them has their, have their own plants. And there are plants that are from the land and very much embedded in the cosmology because they are very, very powerful. Uh, they they help in the expansion of the mind, but as I told you, most importantly, they allow us access to other dimensions, which is a very very important thing. Why do you think that that dimension that the plants are giving us access to is important? Uh, because they allow us to see that we are more than our body. They allow us to see that there's much more in the universe. And they allow us to understand that time is a dimension that we live in. And it looks limited and boxed in the time. However, in, when you are with the plants, they show you that time is also a, a man-made dimension that we got stuck in. And so the simple fact of giving us this empowering capacity to know uh, the potential that we are and that we have as a species uh, and as, a, as an energy body uh, makes them very, very important. Mm -hmm. Yeah? You use this other word, um, which I think there can often be a lot of confusion around, but you use this word witchcraft. What, what do you... I guess also, what does that mean to you? And and when you say that, uh, because that kind of kind of like you said, you know, like even this idea of spirit, as you were saying, it it often invokes these ideas of ghosts or, or things right. like that. And I think witchcraft is another word that invokes a lot of things. But when when you use that word, what does that mean to you? You know, 
actually not long ago there was a part in my psyche that was able to allow uh, and see the universe as a whole and you know we go through life and we know this intellectually we experience it here and there but to really have the 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 perspective and complete compassion to allow this allowed me to see things very differently and i saw that there is a frequency and there is energy that is coding in consciousness and this is the the manifestation in of the male and the female and i also saw that sometimes uh, these energies get distorted for a reason or another uh, accidentally 99% of the time and not accidentally the other percentage of the time uh, and so I was able to understand it not as a bad thing but as just part of the whole of the yin and yang of life and sometimes things happen and sometimes they're they're not okay and so um, when we look at it from a dualistic perspective everything that the shaman doesn't understand and is distorting what they're doing they can call it witchcraft and that becomes a very broad definition and a very inaccurate definition and I saw a lot of shamans do that and, uh, and I wasn't okay with that because I saw that there's, there's something in me that would be limiting an opportunity to learn and to grow and to learn about something new. And so I needed to find a different definition that suits my cosmology and my understanding as someone who based his entire practice in the heart center and not in duality. And I took as my reference nature and the universe itself. And I understood that Everything in nature is connected with the heart and flowing from the heart and expressing and going back and feeding information into the heart center. And that became my reference. And I saw that everything that is not connected to that eventually gets distorted in a way or another. And that needs help more than it's actually the enemy because it's part of the whole. However, there's a part of it that forgot that. And so this became my practice. So every time I see something distorted that is not in flow with the universe or nature or God or whatever people call it, I started to help it in case it asked me for help. And so I don't see bad shamans that are not okay or offensive. I just see people that need help or got lost in a way or another. And if they ask, for, ask me for my help, I would be more than happy to help them. And so this is how I see it. For me, the whole concept of the bad guys and we are the good guys, because everyone's the good guy and everyone sees the others as the bad guy. And coming from a place where I was born, I was like, no, that doesn't work. I'm definitely not doing that again. And, uh, and this is how I see it. I just, sometimes I see people that are suffering and they're making others suffer. And so... Technically, this is witchcraft, but if they don't know and they ask for help, they will definitely be helped. Yeah. 
You use this word <coughs> cosmology. How important do you think that is? Uh, often cosmology is used or cosmovision. Right. And so many of these these plants, they 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 often come from a very particular cosmology or cosmovision. And it's true. And I think for a lot of people, it's maybe easy to kind of take something and then put it in their cosmology. And do you think that's a good thing? There can be benefit from that or are there limitations to that? And, and like, how important is it, <clears throat> I guess, one, to, to find our own cosmology or cosmovision and, and how to integrate other cosmovisions into that? Well, you know, Jason, the world is a little bit different from how it was a couple hundred years ago. And, um, you know, centuries back, we used to have tribal lives or uh, social structures that are very much limited to where we are. And, you know, everyone doing the same patterns, the same traditions, the same food, the same habits, eventually that becomes a whole cosmology on its own. Now, in the modern world, things are very different. I grew up in a place where I speak three languages. Uh, my culture is Lebanese, yes, but I was in a French school. And so the music I used to listen growing up was French 80s and American 80s. And so I'm not an exception Everyone in the world is learning things from different cultures and different uh, civilizations or different backgrounds in general. And I think because of that, our generation has the capacity to learn how to blend things in a way that works. And I find in this a very beautiful and advantageous thing. Uh, like, for example, I use singing bowls in, in my ayahuasca or San Pedro. Um, I do a traditional shamanic dieta where you're only drinking the tree barks and whatnot, and I do a shamanic detox where I add traditional shamanic plants and I also add other herbs that are fully supportive, and I do other detoxes that are more astringent and fruit-based. And, and so the, the capacity to hold the traditional way and to be able to do new blends that work for for us uh, as you know as people living in this modern world I think it's a beautiful thing um, there's a beauty in tradition there's beauty in visiting traditional indigenous people and seeing what they're doing and they have a lot of powerful medicines as well uh, but I think having a laptop or any pad that is connected to the internet makes us very, very different creatures. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you were working with ayahuasca a lot, you, you were dieting, and, and then at some point you said you began to add these other plants like Huachuma, San Pedro. Right. How did that how did that come about and and what did you see was advantageous for for you once you started working with these other plants um, so when I was working with ayahuasca all the time, I reached a place where it became too much uh, 
mean, you've been here long enough to also know that places like the jungle are not always the safest or the, the most gentle, uh, you know, uh, environments to be in. And so there was a retreat and the shaman needed someone to help them. And he told me, Samer, do you want to come with me and help me in this retreat? I was, sure. What are we doing? It's like we're doing this cactus that, uh, and we're going to the Sacred Valley. And However, you know, the retreat is more about exploration of the sacred sites. And, and so uh, I drank the Wachuma. It took me a couple of retreats. And then on one of the retreats, I was having a an okay dose, you know, not a dose that is small, just so I can be able to help other people. But I I found that uh, with Wachuma, you probably can drink a little bit more uh, and still be able to help and assist other people. And for the first time, I I felt my heart. And I realized that I was too much in the dimension of ayahuasca to the point where it be it started to rigidify and it started to become the right thing and everyone else is not okay. And I didn't want to do that. I, I saw a lot of beauty and a lot of uh, efficiency and a lot of beautiful things and, and other plants. And so um, the experience of being in the heart allowed me to see the world not from fear and not from survival mode for the first time. And I felt my heart center and I was able to have my awareness in my heart center. And so my mind for the first time calmed down and it relaxed. And I started to feel that what I was eating was not okay and it was distorting me. You know, uh, there, are there are foods we eat that we think are normal and okay to eat but they're actually not okay if you're working with energies and they can be very stagnating um, and so I started to learn more and more about these plants and I was so happy with the experience of San Pedro that I put a backpack on my back and I started you know backpacking all Peru and I even went all the way to Ecuador and I was looking for a maestro uh, of the cactus now, whether there is or there's not, I don't know, but back then I didn't find, and I stayed on the road for like two, three months. And um, I came back, and and one day I was uh, doing a shamanic journey, and this and the spirits told me, okay, Simon, let's 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 teach you a little bit of how to practice with Wachuma. And the shamans I was working with. Uh, they didn't know the cosmology of Wachuma entirely, so they were bringing a lot of ayahuasca into the Wachuma, which worked but wasn't the practice, you know. And I wanted to really learn about the the cactus itself, the cosmology of the of the cactus, and and what energies and what ikaros to use in the space, how to to hold the structure of a ceremony and to hold the structure for someone to heal. And um, yeah, so they started, you know, showing me how to cook it, how to dry it, why to dry it, why to boil it this way. 
And eventually I ended up with my brew that I still work with until today. And uh, and yeah, now I offer it for people in, in retreats or private ceremonies. How would you describe the the differences between ayahuasca and wachuma? And obviously, <clears throat> it's a big question. But from Definitely. from your own experience, and and I imagine now working with different people, like are, are there certain archetypes you see, certain things that may be beneficial for one or the other? You know. I think ayahuasca is one of the most powerful plants I've worked with. And I think it's so powerful. Sometimes it can be too much for someone coming from New York or L.A. or Moscow. Uh, and for someone like me, for example, it literally cracked my psyche. And I, and I spent like six months trying to integrate and understanding what happened. Uh, and because of that, I learned that there can be an introduction. There can be a different way to do things. Um, and me working with San Pedro, San Pedro has alkaloids that open the heart center and the three centers below it. And ayahuasca has alkaloids that open the third eye center, which is the, coming from the chakruna, which is the DMT. Um, and I found them to be very, very complementary as energies and as experiences. One is done during the day, one is done during the night. Uh, one works more on emotions and the vision is more external, the ayahuasca is more internal. And so I was like, wow, these guys are really, they're, they're really complementary in how they work. And I didn't like to look at their differences. I like to look at how they work together. So when people ask me to compare ayahuasca and San Pedro, of course, I compare the technical stuff. Um, but I like to look more about at, at how they work together and how they, they can really be very beneficial for people. For instance, I believe, in general, of course, this is not a stable, uh, a strict rule, but in general, if someone has no familiarity whatsoever with plants and their psyche is used to this dimension since they were born and they are like 45 years old I believe San Pedro is a better start and a better preparation for an ayahuasca ceremony but this is this is not something uh, to be written on stone as they say in English but this is a uh, this is how I would do it you know, you, you speak a lot of <clears throat> this idea of a heart center, and right. maybe some people understand that. And but I would imagine a lot, or maybe they think they understand it. But you know, it, it seems to be a very common motif. I mean, in, in Christianity, it's often the symbol of Jesus, this this heart that's that's like on fire. Yes, and, and Christ and, consciousness is the heart energy. Mm -hmm. It's true. You see it in Egypt that that. Basically, all of these elaborate rites and rituals preparing people for death so that their heart could be weighed on this scale and it, it needed to be as light as a feather to, yes. to pass into the, the higher dimensions, to, to go home, in a sense. So why do you think in, in, in so many of these traditions, like and as you're describing, that, that idea of, of living in the heart, emanating from the heart, is such a yes. powerful motif? Because it's very real. Uh, 
You know, being in the mind is being in half of the universe. And being in the feelings is being in half of the universe. The universe is both of them. Uh, you know, the yin and the yang flowing together. And the only place to be in harmony with both is the heart center. And if you look at it from a, you know, a, a notes, uh, you have uh, the heart center can receive no, the notes or the frequencies of the lower chakras and the upper chakras. And so the heart center is really like the eye that sees. And the mind center is like an antenna that captures shapes and forms. And with our throat chakra, we create a story around them. And then we feed them into the heart. And the same with the lower chakras where we are feeling intuitions, emotions, and the other stuff. And so living in the heart, in my understanding, you know, in my spiritual understanding or my spiritual perspective and my very scientific mind, uh, it is the center that allows the flowing of both of them. And, you know, the infinity sign shows us the heart in the middle and then you have it all flowing, which is the torus shape and it's in sacred geometry. And so being in the heart center for me is it the only way to be if we want to be in complete harmony with the universe and with ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that being said, the heart has a frequency. And that frequency is a dimension, just like the other plants have different dimensions. So it is possible to live life in the heart dimension. And it's a life that is a little bit different from being in the mind. Being in the mind is more being in comparison, in duality, in uh, survival mode, uh, versus being in the heart is, you know, being in abundance, being in harmony, being in love, being uh, enjoying life and coding it and manifesting it the way... uh, is more harmonious and more in flow with our existence versus, you know, being in the mind and and survival and suffering. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I, I interviewed a, a really uh, fascinating guy on the last podcast. Uh, his, his name is Geronimo, and uh, he mm-hmm. works for an organization called Ice Years, which is a big European organization that works with plant medicines. Wonderful. And, uh, he has this really beautiful quote, which I like, and he says, when the when the Europeans first came to the Americas, they, they looked at the indigenous people as being too indigenous, too primitive, and like they weren't at the same level as the Europeans. And he says, now there's that same, that same mentality, but it, it's often the opposite, that a lot of foreigners will look at the indigenous and they say, well, now they've become too European, they need to be more indigenous. And it's kind of this same split in a way and, and not seeing things in the whole, not seeing people as people. And, and you use this idea of, of <clears throat> like, you, you, you also operate from this place of like a scientific mind. And it's, mm. it's often this dialogue where, where we do put things in very black and white camps. Like we use this word like the West as mm-hmm. if that's like a, a, a cosmology. And, and right. I think someone could argue that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's like an indigenous point of view, which is separate and different from that. And, and, and I liked how you said, you know, you don't like to see the differences per se, but, but how these things harmonize. So mm-hmm. when you hear those two points of view, 
like more of this Western, maybe mind approach and this more indigenous, potentially heart-centered approach. Do you see a difference? Is that more just kind of labels we put on things? Or, or if there is a difference, like where where is the coming together of those? Like how do those things, how do those two polarities come together? And, and, and is there a difference? Or, or, or is it just... That's the thing, is that I really don't think there is a difference. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you and me, we can argue that we are indigenous from Europe or the Mediterranean. And uh, people living in the jungle, they are also indigenous to the jungle. However, what brings us all together is that we're all human. And if we want to look at comparison, just like we were talking about ayahuasca and San Pedro, we can find a lot of differences. But if we look at what makes us similar, we are very, very, very similar. And we are the same species. And I think being in the heart center would allow us to harmonize with people who are considered indigenous or not. Um, From my experience and from what I saw, indigenous people, all of them have phones. All of them live kind of semi-modern life. You know, they have kitchens and they use metal pots. and So there's that going on. And um, I'm not sure there's, there's... I'm not sure how indigenous people who are labeled indigenous still are. Um, you know, I've lived in the jungle for long enough to, to know that this is not the case anymore. What I think is that it is important that we bring, you know, bring these two together and allowing things to, to flow in more harmony and seeing how we can, uh, how these, you know, people coming together, how they can benefit and help as much as we can uh, humans as a species versus seeing them as the indigenous and, you know, needing to help and the poor or whatever. And other people see them as, you know, they are the, the ones that have the, the secrets or the ancient practices, but there's a lot that can be argued around that. And, you know, when you live in places where there are so-called indigenous people, you start to realize that there's not much difference. At least how things have become, you know. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you, you said in the beginning... Uh, that you also learned some of these these mountain traditions, and right. uh, I assume you're you're talking about around this area. Yes, being in the Andes and mm-hmm. Peru, I I learned a lot actually. Mm-hmm. So, what what was that like to you, and and how would you describe those those traditions? Um, well, uh, here in the Andes, there's the Queros mostly. It's the most uh, prominent practice. Uh, uh, people and they have very very beautiful practices and mostly they have practices that uh, offer a lot of gratitude and a lot of uh, uh, connect connection with the mountains and the earth itself and so you hear a lot of Pachamama in the practices uh, you, you hear a lot of Apus which are the mountain spirits and 
And um, however, the practice of a, of a ceremony, it's, it's something I didn't learn in the, in the Andes. I learned it more in Iquitos, in the jungle. Yeah. Do you think those are, some of those practices are, like, for example, you said that may, maybe someone who's 45 years old who comes from a particular cosmovision, they've never worked with plants, like, for them, what is real is what they can touch and, and feel. Right. The potentially San Pedro may be a, 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 good a more start. beneficial way. Do you think some of these other practices could be very beneficial in that way too? Like the, this idea of of going into nature, of going to mountains, even if someone doesn't live around mountains, but into nature, practicing gratitude, giving 100%. thanks, doing doing ceremony... Hundred percent. The question is, would the person be willing to go through that? Because you know, there's a lot of resistance in the mind, and um, the person needs something more tactile. Uh, and maybe after stepping with that, it will be much more easier for them to connect. Uh, to connect with them. However, I also know that it is 100% possible without the, the help of the plants. And someone can have an entire practice, um, you know, gratitude, earthing, connection with the water, uh, changes of food, uh, cold therapy, uh, all these things definitely can, can contribute to someone having a very, very uh, harmonious spiritual life and normal life without the help of the plants, 100%. In fact, a big part of shamanism is practiced without plants. So that is a very good example on, on, the, on the possibility that this is, this is definitely uh, a true thing. Yeah. What does that look like from your experience of, of that, that connection with whether it's mountains or gratitude, water? Like if if that like sparks someone's curiosity like from your experience what is that what does that practice look like what does that entail um for example we do uh, hiking ceremonies where people can drink or not drink san pedro and um, we go into the mountain we do what is called a kintu which is part of the practices that are found in the andes which is holding coca leaves and doing a certain offering or gratitude offering for the spirits of the mountains. And so a ceremony, in the ceremony, a person does a kintu and we do the hike with intention. We do the hike to connect. We do the hike to, to learn and to heal. And along the way, we stop in, in places on the mountain that are considered sacred spots or powerful spots where we do a certain meditation or a certain uh, another kintu maybe or something that is in line with what we're doing that day and so the whole day becomes a connection with the mountain spirits and this is a good example where you can actually have a practice and connect with uh, the spirits of nature or within yourself without the need to have plants and that example is a good example also of practicing in the mountains in the Andes do you think that that translates outside of this area? 
because even, you know, like, uh, we're very high up, like the air is very thin. Uh, the mountains, once you start hiking past a certain elevation, it, it's a very different landscape. Mm-hmm. It's very, uh, you know, almost devoid of trees, seemingly right. devoid of life. Uh, the, the, the water is, is very pristine, very cold. Uh, the environment becomes increasingly harsh. Like one feels the elements very strongly. Yes. The, the Contrast almost, is definitely very yeah. high. There's almost this, like, a, I think a very common motif in shamanism is this idea of death. And I think the higher one begins to go up the mountain, I think in general people have a sense of, like, moving towards that in a way. It's just the elements become very... <laughs> you mean like, the feeling that we might die soon? Is, is that what you're alluding to? Not, I mean, not necessarily that it's like I'm going to die, but there's there's that sense becomes more infused in, right. in spirit. You know, the higher up we go, we're getting away from what we know, what's familiar, uh-huh. wh- further away from home, in, in more into the unknown, more, in, you know, the right. elements become harsher, the, the wind picks up, the temperature begins to drop, the, the clouds come in, yes. the, the life yeah, is, is less... It shows <laughs> the fragility of life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and to me it seems like that's where a lot of the power comes in, whereas, and, and I, I don't know, that's why I'm asking you, but... But if that's the same as, you know, someone in Miami going to the beach where there's water there, which is also very powerful. I mean, the ocean yes, is very powerful. Uh, but it's a, it's a different feeling. Yes. That, that sense is different from being, like, very high up in the mountains. And uh, so to some degree, it seems like, like a lot of those practices are maybe infused, like... Maybe the plants aren't as necessary there because there's all of these other things point. that are already very present. And this is a good point. Being in the in the mountains is definitely a very, very powerful place to be. And it also is probably why the indigenous people of this land didn't find the, the need to use psychedelics because, because of the power of these mountains. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you were talking about um, kind of bridging all of these traditions or bringing elements from these different traditions in, how does how does that how does that look for you now? Like when if someone comes to you and they're sick or they want to learn, how do you how do you begin to to kind of do that dance of, of playing these different notes and, and, and seeing what's important, what's useful, what, what tradition or what plant or what modality would best serve you know, this person. At this point, what I look at is what works the best or what, what is the most efficient in that situation. And um, sometimes it's simply a change of diet. Um, and sometimes it's a, it's a shamanic dieta. You know, and it's all the way between ceremonies or, you know, everything in between. So this is this is the mainly how I look at it. It's it's what works the most. Now that being said, there's a lot of people who are uh, more of an explorer, and they just want to you know take psychedelics in a safe environment, in a guided environment where they can do that. 
So some, sometimes it's that case as well. And there's no need for healing per se, but more of a, of a shamanic journey with the plants itself. Yeah. Like it's, once I, there was a woman who called me from her house. She's like, Samer, the doctor told me I have cancer and it's very aggressive and I'm dying in 10 days. What do I do? And so I told her, get a garbage bag, throw everything in your kitchen and leave fruits. And from now on, you eat fruits and fruit juices. And I, you know, sent her a couple of links for some herbal tinctures. And 10 days later, she went to the doctor and the cancer was 30% less. So for me, that was the most efficient scenario for her. Now, after that, of course, there was the working on the physical energies, the trauma embedded within that eventually led to the cancer and all these things. And it's a blend of a lot of uh, talk therapy and some psychedelics and some energy alignment. And the whole blend eventually led to the healing of the woman. But that was a that was a case that wasn't typical per se, but... This is an example I'm using since you asked. And so this is an example where I used food therapy, shamanism and psychedelics and, uh, and sound therapy to, to align everything for her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, I found that, you know, singing bowls and gongs and sound therapy in general is very, very, very efficient because you can tune the energy body precisely to the note. Right, and so uh, the shaman can align the energies, but the the beauty of sound when it's really uh, tuned perfectly, the person has a different spark in their eyes, and this is why I found it to be necessary to be included in the practice that I'm doing. Yeah. It, it seems like a a lot of the direction that that this work is is moving and. Uh, to some degree for good reason, but it is very much around this idea of, of trauma. Uh, it seems like more and more a right. lot of people come with this idea, which also to some degree seems to come from kind of a more Western psychological approach that mm -hmm. the root of any problem I have is, is some psychosis that can be analyzed and yeah, these plants... and a lot of the times it is very very real mm -hmm. what do you do you think do you think that that some of that aspect of you described as as you know like some people you said just come for this exploration that they're right. that they have a, a genuine curiosity to yes. to learn to explore um do you do you see those things as different or at the root that exploration also entails going in and cleaning and clearing and bringing things into alignment and 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 healing in that way um, because it seems you know, and this is where things get, get kind of complicated. Like we were talking about this difference between traditional ways, more modern ways. Yes. Um, you know, from what I see, there there wasn't necessarily maybe as much emphasis on that, like healing trauma 
from a more traditional point of view. And yet right. certainly that was there as well. It was 100%. very often used of for that. Um, so I guess, I guess maybe the, the question is from, from a more, from, you know, cause we were speaking of, of this idea of, of cosmology. So from your experience, the places, the ways in which you've seen these plants emerge, do you see, do you see a difference in how they're being used now? And is that just purely a symptom of the time and the people who are coming to work with them and that those plants serve that function? Uh, and is that, is that beneficial or can there be things that are also lost if we begin to focus on one aspect? Okay, there are, there are like That's five answers. That's a big question. Answers. <laughs> <laughs> five answers. <laughs> to start with, the traditional view of a trauma is what is called a susto, which is a shock of the energy field or the spirit, and there's a part in the, in the energy that gets locked in time. And, you know, the job of the shaman is to bring, with the help of the spirits, to, to, to release that energy so that the energy can flow again. And now because of that distorted energy, uh, that could lead to, you know, mystery diseases like cancers or things that we don't know where they came from. And so the tradition you, you use, you use uh, with the work of the spirits, you use uh, any method to help you release that. Now, if you look at it from a modern perspective, it's a little bit more complex than that because modern man is a little bit more complex. And uh, yes, there is a need to release that energy and to allow the energy to flow. However, the trauma, when it's really severe, and believe me, I know, the brain functions differently. And the reactions are different. And the skittish part of the energy is very different than a normal person. And there is a need of a follow-up to regenerate the brain and to regenerate the energy in a way that is very, very, you know, conducive or constructive for that person, which is something that is not present in traditional shamanism. And this is a good example of our early conversation of how, you know, adding the new perspectives or the modern perspectives can actually be very beneficial to a traditional practice. Uh, now, the modern world is using that out of need. And psychedelics are becoming more and more present. They are in all the scientific researches. You know, MAPS is doing a wonderful job and the other centers as well. However, to answer your question, I do feel that there's a part where there's the energy worker, which is traditionally labeled as the shaman, that is being pulled out little by little. And it's becoming, oh yeah, let's, let's just take these pills of mushrooms for three, four months and, you know, do some psychotherapy and whatnot, and it will, it will help us in the healing. However, I do feel that there is a need, there will always be a need for the human part and the experienced person who knows how to manage energies, who knows how to manage psyches, who knows how they work together and allow the person to work them in a nice way. And so... Um, as I told you, what I see is that these plants are becoming more and more modern and implemented in modern practices because there's a need for them. However, the modern way is very scientific. 
and it's very lab designed where they put something in one scenario they see how it behaved and then they repeat it and if it's repeatable it becomes a method however the universe is much bigger than that and science doing things in a lab uh, scenario where it's completely separated from the whole is not the complete picture so I think this is where little by little hopefully things will see the importance of the the human aspect of these treatments and and bring the the, the therapist the shaman the energy worker whatever the, it's going to be labeled to the picture as a very important pillar in the healing and the, the practice so in a way, we are seeing the transition of a shamanic practice that is becoming more and more modern and becoming more and more uh, uh, scientific. I, let's see how it's going to move. I personally always encourage the, the keeping of the human aspect because the plants alone, they are super powerful tools and they are super powerful beings. However, there's always a need of the human mind to know how to shape and guide the energy of them. Otherwise, you know, it's it can be uh, it can lead to people going into places where they end up not in the right place. You know, there's a lot of delusion that could happen because of plants. There's a lot of people who do ayahuasca and come out creating a whole story in their mind, which end up, you know, having them you know, the need to go through experiences that are not so beneficial for them. And so these aspects can be always checked and kept at bay by the practitioner who already has a lot of experience and knows that this is a possibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a super important point. Can you give an example of, of how a guide, a shaman, a teacher would be able to bring that into check? Because I think that's a really important point, uh, that there can be this, as you, you know, we could call it different things, an ego inflation or delusions of grandeur. Or yeah, like the, a very common example on in ayahuasca is after one ceremony, a person comes out and tells me, ayahuasca told me that I'm, I'm a great shaman and I need to start practicing my shamanism. This might be true, but if that person is a great shaman, they need a little bit of training to know how to manage their own system first, let alone managing the other other systems. So this is a good example. Um, another example is someone does ayahuasca or San Pedro or any psychedelics in a way that is not guided, and you know they end up coming out and reacting in very uh, extreme ways um, because the plants showed them that they are not doing the best or the something for their highest good and they start wanting to change everything and eventually the whole life collapses and they're not in good shape uh, versus when someone does that experience and there's someone guiding it and let's say I am guiding it and they express that to me. I tell them like, you know, uh, I guide them into doing things in a more harmonious way versus a reactional way where it's probably true they need to change their life because they are not healthy or they're not harmonious. However, 
it's good to do it in a way that is working and in a way that is constructive, not just, you know, completely break everything apart. So these are good examples. Another one is when someone heals from a trauma. You have a lot of reactions that come out of it. Uh, aggression, sadness, aggression towards the person who did the trauma for them, and all these things that can come up after the person is back to their power and their power is back in their system. Uh, and so it's good to guide them towards letting go, releasing, forgiveness. These things are very, very important as a post-experience because the person can end up doing a lot of things that are very reactional and they might end up hurting themselves again. So these are, these are examples of how that could work. Um, you know, the, the psyche of the human, the humans play out their psyches. And the shaman is the, is, the, is the being or the person that is seeing their psyche and holding the psyche of someone else and allowing it to always be harmonious and in flow. Until that person can see their psyche, they need to be guided by someone. And, you know, usually, hopefully, it's someone that is, you know, helping them for their highest good or for their, for their benefit, because sometimes it's, it's not the case. You spoke like uh, this woman who who had the cancer, and and you you saw the the primary way that you felt you could help her in that moment was changing the diet. And yeah, she was in the UK and London, and she cannot come, and there's COVID going on, and mm-hmm. she's stuck. Mm-hmm. How significant a role is that? Because that's also something I think sometimes we may know on an intellectual level, but maybe not so much on a, on a deeper sense of, again, this idea of plants as, as food, as nutrition, that, yeah. that so much of our, of our day-to-day health is actually coming from plants. Uh, even if someone eats meat, I mean, the, the animal that probably they ate was, you know, <laughs> yeah, was, was also eating plants to some degree, and that's feeding the... So it's, you know, plants are, uh, for, for so for so many of us, so many species, this primary source of nutrition. And even yeah, if you're a vegan, you're only eating plants. Mm-hmm. So where do you see, where do you see that that's, that's an important role? And, and, and how, can, how can working with plants as food, as nutrition, be a really powerful tool in that, in that healing journey of someone? Oh, I, I think it's, uh, it's one of the pillars of healing. There, it cannot happen without it. Um, wait, that was a very overgeneralized <laughs> Of course, you can heal in many other ways, but if we want to have a completely harmonious system that is in complete flow, that means that you need a body that has, that has no inflammation. And the only reason the body creates inflammation, which is, by the way, a reaction of the immune system, is to pull everything that it cannot deal with outside of the body. And everything that is complex proteins, things that the body does not understand, like canned foods or um, you know, substances that are not, not natural, the body creates inflammation. That inflammation, shamanically, it looks like distorted energy. It looks like fire. And the body creates it to pull things out. 
And so if someone really, really wants to reach a harmonious uh, place, it is important to have as much plant-based diet as possible. The second thing that is very, very important is that when we eat plants and fruits, they become human. And when they become human, they place via us. And so when we eat a banana or a mango, we feel happy. That's the spirit of the mango because that's the vibration of the mango. And that became human. That became a happy human. Versus when we eat something that is killed or that is dead or that is, you know, creating inflammation, the physical body will not be happy and the person after eating, they need to rest or have a nap or, you know, they become agitated or... You see kids eating ice cream and they, and they become a little bit, you know, very active and very loud. And, and people, it's important to relate that sugar has a lot to do with that. And so, and so if someone is doing a very deep healing process, food is definitely one of the pillars of the healing modality. Like, I've seen people healing from mystery diseases in ayahuasca by putting it in the bucket. I've seen diets of sanango or tobacco that cleaned lifelong things. But I've seen myself, after 10 years of practicing with plants, the first 10 days I did a fruit juice were the first 10 days I was feeling something I've never felt before in my life, which is not being depressed. And so... I know the power of ayahuasca, I know the power of San Pedro, I know the power of the plants because they are literally what I'm built of and they are my allies and I work with them. But I also know the power of food. And this is why food became a big part of what I practice. I went all the way to, to studying it and now I'm a, I'm a detox and regeneration specialist because I wanted to incorporate that in a very formal way in the practice that I do. Yeah. Are there, uh, are there like detox or, or cleansing programs that, that you would recommend that people can do on their own? That... Yeah, of course. I mean, it's, it's a very common thing. And, you know, there are many doctors, there are many professors. For a hundred years or so, until now, you can find at least a couple handfuls of doctors. Most of them were. You know, they died in mysterious ways, but that's a different conversation. Uh, but all of them basically talk about the same thing. They tell you everything that is not plant-based will uh, distort your energy field because of inflammation. And everything that is uh, acidic in its nature, like grains, can create stagnation in the field. And so the best food for humans is raw veganism, fruits and vegetables. And, you know, a lot of herbal infusions. And, uh, and a very typical practice is three days of grape juice or three days of watermelon. Or um, going raw vegan for a couple of weeks. Or doing, a, you know, a moon cycle of, of, a, diff of a very specific uh, uh, protocol that they follow. There are many things that you can find online. However, me personally, I created something called regenerative shamanism. And I included in it the rituals of shamanism, the food and seeing food as spirits and energies, and uh, 
you know, the other rituals that are being done. And so it all became a very complementary practice and very holistic in its nature. And it was literally my, how I did it. And so the way it worked for me, I found it to be really nice. And so I put it in, in writing and in a couple of videos and I'm, I'm sharing it with people. Mm. Yeah. So I think it's very important. Food is very important in the healing modalities. Mm. You can actually use food as its own healing modality, just like sound and just like psychedelics. Do you think that's why in the, the, the traditional dieta process that was actually oh. a big focus? Oh, 100%. The, the, the dieta is, is called a dieta. And a, a dieta is a, is, a, is a Spanish word that means a, a diet. And so uh, the modern uh, perspective is, oh, you do a diet to, to lose weight. But when you look at it from a shamanic perspective, a shamanic dieta is to align energies out of distortion and out of inflammation. And this is why you're, you're having like a, a piece of boiled plantains and probably a cucumber or I don't know what, depending on the shaman and what they are feeding. But in general, it's very bland food and it's very basic just so that the person has enough to, to survive. And... Uh, a dieta is a traditional representation of what I just described. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so when you are dieting all the time and your energy is all the time straight from the trees, from the sanango, from the tobacco, from the ayahuasca, from all the plants that you're working with, eventually they rigidify and that becomes your energy. And this is how you build the shaman. You literally build the shaman. Anyone can become a shaman because if you know... If you have something who knows what they're doing, they can make of anyone a shaman. Because it's literally how it's built. You build energy in a very straight way. And this is where, this is where dietas, and I've seen a lot of that happening, when they are being done in a way that is a little bit distorted or not completely clean in its energy. The person eventually rigidifies the distorted energies. And this is how you build a shaman that is not practicing medicine, thinking they are practicing medicine. And that becomes a little bit tricky for their psyche because they think they're doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are your, what are your thoughts on, on kind of the, <laughs> the, the, the world situation that we're going through just with the, the pandemic and, uh, I mean, how that's... You know, because obviously being here in the Sacred Valley, it's uh, there's a lot of people who, who work with plants and it, it's obviously affected That's the true. work. It's even in this area, there's a super high reliance on things like tourism. and Yeah, I mean, for a very long time, I didn't have anyone coming because no one could, tra could travel. And I think it was the case for all of us here. Yeah. Do you see? Do you see the roots of of that? Is um, like part of a like how to say this? You know, in a <laughs> in a nice way. In a nice way, but you know, it seems like a lot of what the the pandemic, the, the people who are affected most have these underlying conditions, and. You know, you were talking about this idea of health and bringing energies into balance. Uh, you know, a lot of people see it as, 
well, it's just in a way like nature showing us what's out of balance. Uh, other yeah. people would would maybe say, well, it, you know, it's also showing us how much fear we have as humans, like fear yeah. of death. Uh, in in a way, you know, also like with this idea of harmonizing energies, we're we're in a way, kind of, uh, keeping people apart in a way, isolation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, much more people are in their computer now, like not interacting, not uh, harmonizing. Uh-huh. Um, did you have any thoughts on that or, or is it just... You know, I think what's going on in the world now is is a literal, literally a representation or a mirror of our collective consciousness. And as you can see, it's very dual. And uh, it's very... Uh, it's separating and um, however I also do think that it's a very beautiful and uh, it's interesting uh, uh, position we are being put in because people are waking up to the need of doing something different I know a lot of people during the pandemic they told me that was the best year of my life because they couldn't work and they finally had time to do the things they really wanted to do. Take time for themselves, take time to heal, take time to to do things that are important for them. Um, and so I see what's going on in the world as an opportunity to come out of it. Because, you know, it's like, it's like putting everything that is going on on steroids. The fear, the separation, the disease, the... The, the news, uh, the misinformation, everything that is going on is, is really representing what we are going through. And um, it puts humanity in a situation where do we want to keep doing that? That becomes the question. And if we decide not to do that, uh, we will be mirroring something different. That's what I think. Now, political stuff, economical stuff, whatever other stuff going on, I think it's a, it becomes a very different conversation than where we are. How, how do you see the role of, of, of these plants uh, kind of, uh, you know, even when, when you were describing your own journey, it was, you know, 12, 13 years ago or something, um, I would imagine at that time, like very few people were probably familiar with what you were doing, what you were speaking about. Yeah, even that word ayahuasca. ayahuasca yeah. I was like the clown. Yeah, and yet now it's uh, it, it's much more ingrained in people's consciousness. They right. they know that word. Uh, they they've heard of it. They, they maybe worked with it. Right. I mean, it seems to be spreading it at quite a rapid rate. That's um, true. Where do you, do you have any sense of, of, of where that's going, how that's going to look, how that's going to begin to integrate into a, a lot of the societies who either maybe don't have these plants in their tradition or they've lost those traditions? You know, to get it into the, the, the modern uh, countries, it becomes a, a matter of uh, legalities. And this is what will make the biggest difference, is that when these plants become legal again, and people can use them, uh, people will, you know, find the best ways 
to incorporate them in our social structure. You know, like when cannabis was legalized in Colorado, it was very new. Now you go there and you have all types of mixtures, all types of prices, all types of candies and whatnot, and there's tax uh, regulated, and everything is organized and flowing, and it's making a lot of money for the state. And so, because of that, the consumption of cannabis became much higher. However, at the same time, it became much more uh, uh, responsible. And, you know, when something is not illegal, people consume it in a way that is, uh, that is okay, in general, of course. I'm not, I'm not uh, generalizing, uh, but generally speaking, you, you see less cases of extremism when a substance is not illegal. Um, and so I think the more le uh, legalizing and the more these plans become accepted in the social structure and, and as a government, uh, people will start using them more, they will start regulating them more, they will start including them in uh, healing practices more, and they will become more and more accepted. Until today, there are countries you go to and people tell you these are drugs and I don't use them. And so that also needs to change. It might take a generation or two. So I think... It's going to take a little bit of time, but it, we are definitely on the right track. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you said this idea that, that Christ consciousness lives in the heart, um, do, you, do you have a sense that, that, that a lot of these religions that, that, that are so common, uh, I mean, the, the biggest ones in the world, Christianity, Islam, yeah. uh, Hinduism, uh, do you think there was something lost in that, that that these plants potentially have an ability to reconnect us with? That that it, you know, because it's a very particular thing you said. You know, you said Christ consciousness. You didn't say Jesus, or you didn't right. say uh, you know the Son of God. It, it was Christ consciousness, which I think is pointing towards something much deeper. Um, That's true. It, do you think something has been lost there? And I think something has been removed. Uh, I think the... You know, there's a very interesting book I read not long ago. Uh, it's called The Immortality Key. And it's a very interesting book. And the guy does a research in, uh, in Scandinavia, for example, to be able to incorporate the Christianity, they had to tell people, we have your, you have your old gods, now we're going to give you a new god. And that new god became Jesus. And I didn't know that the same thing happened in Europe in general, uh, so that Christianity can stabilize. And they did that, and Jesus was the new god, and it was the god that replaced Dionysus. And Dionysus, all the practices of Dionysus were changed in a way to put them in a religious way and that became Christianity eventually. But the origin of it, you actually connect with God by drinking God, by, drink, by eating God. And that is the concoction that was made by the woman and the... the, the yeah, the women that were in charge of that. 
and this is why it was a big war against women in history and it wasn't only the mother it was the mother and her daughter because they needed to stop the transfer of knowledge and so to do that they needed to shut one generation and this is why what happened happened and i and i think to make a religion you need to lock consciousness in a very specific dimension and that dimension is fear and so the person is scared from going to hell right or scared from god punishing them or whatever whatever the religion is telling them and so uh, that becomes the dimension and it's based on fear and to be able to keep that and sustain that you have to lock the mind and not allow anything to open it up and what opens it up is the plants and what allows consciousness to expand and flow in different dimensionalities is the plants and this is why they were removed it's it's very obvious when you look at it from this perspective mm -hmm. because it wasn't in the intention to do what they were doing it wasn't you know uh, supportive of the intention and every religion is the same why do you think that's such a powerful emotion fear uh... well fear is the separator of consciousness from uh, from uh, the, the awareness of the whole so you have fear in the body you have uh, uh, doubt in the mind so doubt is the flip coin of fear so when someone is scared their mind is distorted they they're doubting everything they cannot be st stable in a in a direction and their all their their entire uh, energy field gets completely distorted so when that happens this person can be controlled and you know that person uh, doesn't want to face uh, the fear and the, the very interesting part is that humans as a species we have the capacity to project into the future and that alone make us controllable because we are scared of death we are scared of pain we are scared of discomfort we are scared of all these things so all it takes is just to tell the person if you don't do this I will do this to you and they will do it because they are scared and this is why we are controllable and this is how fear becomes such a powerful tool and this is why it is used a lot you know like in the social structure if someone does a bad thing they put them in jail uh, and so people are scared of going to jail but you know I would I would argue that if someone does something not okay we probably can help them not do it again and help them heal and help them, you know, come back to being normal versus reinforcing that and putting them in jail and making them the bad guys, you know. Do you think there are uh, other tools other than plants to begin to, to help people with that fear? Because I think you know, fear is something I, I talk about actually quite a bit and... Um, it seems to me a lot of people aren't aware of that fear. Right, uh, I agree with you. So it, it's difficult, I think, 
for people to even see that that's something that may be driving often a huge part of their lives, their actions, their thoughts. Yeah, their, 100%. Um, so, you know, if someone has maybe seen that, because that seems like that, that would potentially need to be the first step is actually to recognize yeah, that. Yeah, when you become aware of it, it becomes much easier to do, to deal with, much easier. Do you, is there anything from your experience that can help to begin to, 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 to really go into that so that that can have a, a lessening of the impact of, of how we, we operate I think awareness is the, the, the base. I think meditation, a practice of meditation uh, can definitely be a good start. Um, you know, the second thing is to, to, to having a little bit of uh, restructure in the psyche itself where we don't see fear as a bad thing or something to be scared of or the enemy because at the end of the day fear is a very very beneficial emotion and you know 10,000 years ago if there was a cyber tooth that wanted to eat eat us we would be scared and run so we needed the fear and the adrenaline rush to give us that power um, however when it's personalized identified and used against us we become our worst enemy and so having compassion towards that and seeing it objectively for what it is uh, with the support of meditation can be a very, very good starting point. And you know, when someone meditates, it calms their mind and it gives them the opportunity to observe without the need to judge or uh, compare or anything the mind does. And so uh, I would start there. I would definitely start with meditation and uh, and compassion you know like yeah I'm scared of whatever I'm scared of this I'm scared of not smoking anymore because I don't know how to deal with the fear inside of me or the trauma inside of me and this is my coping mechanism you know and so giving it the chance and the compassion and the opportunity to allow things to flow and allow things to express themselves in a way that is healthy uh, can be a great, great uh, tool to look at fear and give it a big hug and allow it to move. If someone is interested in, in, in working with plants, uh, is there any advice you would have for that person of whether they should, whether they shouldn't, what to look for, where to go. Obviously, it's a it's a case by case scenario. However, what I would recommend is uh, is first uh, being as 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 humble and respectful as possible, because plants are beings and they are very powerful beings. Uh, second thing I would do is uh, the right preparation and the right integration. So before and after, what are we doing? You know, before going into the plants, what are we eating, our mental state, our physical state, where's our energy at, you know, uh, how are we preparing for that? And after that, with all the energy movement and, you know, as we were talking earlier, when we have 
big releases like a trauma release, how do we integrate that? Where do we work with that afterwards? And for the practice itself, I would highly recommend having at least someone to take care of us. Uh, you know, uh, psychedelics are a world of their own. And when you go into the dimension of the plant, if it's very new, the person can get lost and um, they can traumatize themselves from the experience or they can start having a belief system that is not productive for them. So I highly recommend having someone to guide them that would understand their psyche. Um, yeah, that's that's the approach I would I would definitely tell them to. Yeah. We kind of touched on it a little bit, but this idea that potentially this plant work or, or uh, some practice was was seen as as not only important but 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 fundamental, like a fundamental part of being a human being. Uh, you know, even this idea of, of cosmology or cosmovision, like these mm -hmm. plants or these practices were actually built into the cosmologies of peoples. Right. And it was it, it wasn't just something that was done. Like there was there was a, a deep resonance behind it. It was often even somehow integrated into the creation myths of people, their, their stories, their, their reverence. Do you have a sense of, of, of like why that was so important for them and such an integral part of, of, of who they were and, and how they looked at the world? Um, yeah, that's because it's because uh, the plants shaped their world. It's because the plants worked as the plants were very very real it's as simple as that and what do you this is a big question but what do you think like these plants are 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 actually trying to do do, do you think in the beginning you mentioned this idea that when one consumes plants it's it's opening us the the consumer to the the dimensions of that plant. Yes, because we vibrate the frequency. Mm -hmm. Do you have a sense that 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 dimension or that 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 spirit are there universal truths that they're they're trying to point us towards, or is it? Because again, you know, in this idea of a cosmovision, of a cosmology, that, that these things were given so much reverence. Mm -hmm. Do you think that was because these people had a sense that those plants or those dimensions were pointing them towards something? Like what, yes, a, 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 I, I think so. And I think because they opened us to other dimensions where we can communicate with uh, different beings. Uh, we can get different knowledge, we can uh, evolve as a species. And, you know, a shaman is a Siberian word that means the one that goes in a trance and talks with spirits. Um, and I think these plants help us in that because they allow us to bring information from the other side. Or And so plants were revered because they were actually the keys to the other side. And 
I think this is a very, very big deal. Very big deal. Especially when we realize that the universe we live in is one dimension out of the infinite dimensionality of the of the multiverse, not even a universe. And so then therefore what do you think what do you think was the, the knowledge or, or the benefit like in this dimension to bring knowledge from other dimensions here? What was the benefit for for those people? It depends on the on the the tribe or the the people or whatever they they wanted to do. Some people used it for hunting. Some people used it for wars. Some people used it for evolution. Depends on where the cosmology of the or where they were and their and their mind uh, and what was their intention. Because you know, there's a lot of compassion and consciousness of plants, and they really give you what you ask for. And so if you're asking for something specific, they can, they can help you with it. And this is why, you know, some people practice healing arts, some people practice not healing arts with the same plant. And I think it has a lot to do with how the humans uh, think and how the humans are guiding consciousness. And so not all of them used to use the, the plants for benevolent reasons and for evolutionary reasons other people use them for you know not so good stuff like ayahuasca or i think i think i heard that combo also was used like that where the person used to take ayahuasca and see where the prey is and in the morning or on the when the moon was starting they used to go and and hunt and that was a big part of how they used ayahuasca in one of the tribes so this is an example um, now that being said I do think that plants have the potential to raise our awareness and our consciousness to a very very different level of understanding that we have today do you think that's part of that evolutionary process you were speaking I think about? so I think, uh, I think the more our mind is evolving and the more our mind is you know expanding energetically we need things that will uh, work in parallel with what's going on and the psychedelics and the plants in general definitely play a big role in, in assisting in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. However, it's up to us if it's going to become... Uh, how, how the future is going to become. And if we look at it from a mental perspective, it's very dualistic, it's very machine-made, it's very uh, impersonal, it's very inhuman. Um, but if we come back to the heart center, to the Christ consciousness that you were talking about, we can definitely create a very different harmonious future. So the future is how we code it in the now. And the plants are our best, best allies. The question is, how are we going to use that? And for what purpose? And, you know, why? And so it we will not be very different from a few thousand years ago when they used to use a plant to find their prey. Now what are we using the plants for? So the question is, what, what are we doing? That's what I think. I think eventually it's up to us. And the plants are definitely here to help us and they are, as I said, our best allies. Other than healing, they can actually also guide us. You know, like, 
a lot of the times I ask questions for the plants and ceremony and they and I have like a vision for like a couple of seconds and you know they show me a possibility that my psyche didn't see before and so asking an open question for the plant is very different than asking a yes and no question so how I do the, how do I do this and what are the possibilities and how can I explore this or how can I expand this is a very different question of uh, is a very different question than should I do this or not because if you say to the plant should I do this or not they will not answer you because they're not here to tell you what to do but they're here to help you evolve you know and some people unfortunately they use them in a very limited way and they use them for harming or they use them for tripping uh, or they use them to feed their identity that's what I mean by tripping is to you know grow their ego and inflating it versus uh, using them in a productive way to help themselves heal expand help others heal and use them in a very beneficial way so yes the plants definitely help us in evolution but the real answer is what do we want as a species I'm talking and um, from my side, I think that the more people are in the heart center, the more we will be evolving as a species that will survive for the years to come. But I think if we stay in our dualistic mind where if it's not me, it's my enemy, eventually we will end up uh, going extinct as a species because that's what we're doing. We're witnessing the sixth was it or seventh extinction of our of our race so uh, what do we want to do yeah so are you optimistic about the future <laughs> that's a good question i think if every one of us does uh, what does their job whatever is that that is uh, i think we can be very optimistic about the future I like to look at the future optimistically. I, yes, the tendency is to look at it as objectively as possible. But uh, also I, I always remember and I always keep in mind that the future is what we make of it. Uh, no one knows the future, but in reality everyone knows the future because how we are coding our mind now is what we are manifesting in the future. So if we really want to know the future, we really need to look at what we're doing. What am I thinking every day I'm waking up? What am I thinking every day I'm talking with someone? What am I thinking when I'm doing a podcast? What is my intention behind, behind the flow and behind my actions and my thoughts and my emotions? And if someone wakes up and takes a couple of minutes of gratitude, if someone... Uh, uh, decide to be kind to themselves uh, and as a result being kind to others it's a very different reality than you know being competitive or being in scarcity mode you know when someone understands that your imagination is not something that is not real it's actually something that you shape consciousness with and if you shape it and hold it long enough it actually manifests into physicality so a trauma is an auto-manifesting machine. You know, a habit is an auto-manifesting machine. And so what are we doing? 
and why are we using the plants and in which rituals are we using them and in which patterns of thoughts and emotions are they being used and these are the, the important questions that only each and every person can answer for themselves and that will eventually mirror uh, our future as a species you know, no government will do this for us. No, uh, no religion will do this for us. Uh, no one will do this for us. But if everyone will do it for themselves, and with in mind the fact that we are doing it for ourselves, but for the species as a whole, and for existence, and for the earth as a whole, becomes a very different journey. And I think plants in that regard are paramount, in our evolution because the plants work on both centers and so they push the energy field but also they reshape the mind and they allow us to see the world in a very different way you know a couple of decades ago I thought that the world is based in fear I didn't know that there's other possibilities you know a couple of decades ago I didn't know that what I'm thinking in my mind is what I'm shaping my life I used to blame others for my shitty life but now I know that if something is off it's because I'm doing something off within myself and so all these things eventually will help in our evolution as a species but overall I am optimistic because I think humans in their nature are kind and humans in their nature are very social beings that want to support each other, that want to be together. We don't want to be alone as a person. Like if someone wants to be alone all the time, there's something off with them because in our nature, we are a social being, you know. We want a partner, we want a hug, we want a gathering, we want to laugh, we want to think about something together and, and do a good future for, for each other. And this is where the plants become very important and responsible practices become very, very important because they can be the difference of someone having a responsible life where they are manifesting their future in a, in a, based from the, the heart center and the Christ consciousness versus someone inflating their ego with some ayahuasca or some mushrooms and then, you know, saying that life is not okay and they're not supposed to be on earth and they're not okay with their bodies all these are distortions and they create identifications and the person is a bit lost and a little bit ungrounded in, in their expression and in, in life you know because when someone tells you I am not my body in reality the body is the male representation of the female energy field which is the spirit so they can the concept of being alive in a body is a belief system and you know being aware of all that uh, uh, of all that manifestation as part of our energy field and our spirit is paramount to to having the perspective of knowing how to deal with it otherwise we are thinking we're not supposed to be here and we're supposed to be somewhere else in some other time, but from the heart center, it's very obvious that the only place in the universe that exists is the here and the now. And everything else is possibilities and consciousness that we can shape into manifestation, but they are not here. 
And this is why I think plants are very, very important. Yeah. Everything I just told you, I got, I was thought, I was, I, I learned it from the plants. Because they showed me, you know, it was, it was very humbling when I was like arrogantly saying that it's not my fault that I'm like this and, you know, genes and society and war and religions and parents and family. And then the plants told me, no, it's all you. Are you willing to claim responsibility and start changing your life? Or you want to keep blaming your shitty life on others and saying that you're sick and you're not okay and you're poor because all of that happened, you know? And I think this is what every human need to do. And this is what we need to do as a, as a species, each and every one of us. And there are many masters, there are many teachers, there are many gurus, there are many shamans, and a lot of them, if not the big majority, are doing a wonderful work. And they're really helping people and healing. Uh, of course, everyone has their own capacity and the extent of their understanding, but from what I see is that everyone at least has the intention to help as much as possible. And that alone is enough, because if someone is every day trying to learn something new, trying to evolve a little bit and helping others in doing that, uh, I think in the long run it will be a very good thing, you know. Yeah, that's what I think. Well, Samir, that sounds like a, a great place to, to end it. We're, we're over two hours. Oh, <laughs> yeah, the time with you passed very quickly. <laughs> Is there anything we, we didn't address that you'd, you'd like to talk about? Um, well, I just want to say that this is my first uh, podcast. And because of that, I'm very grateful for you, Jason, and mm -hmm. for accepting me and for giving me this opportunity to, to talk. And uh, whoever's listening, I thank them for staying that long, <laughs> listening to me, <laughs> saying things. Um, yeah, I don't have anything to say other that I'm very grateful and thank you very, very, very much. Well, Samir, you, you speak beautifully, uh, you, you have a beautiful presence and um, uh, whoever is listening, if, if they've liked what you're saying and they're, they're interested to, to contact you or maybe to work with you, is there a way they can do that? Yes, I think the best place to find me is on my Instagram, which is at Shaman Samir. Uh, I also have a website, but you know I'm I'm working on changing it in my digital presence and making a whole digital platform with courses and online stuff because it's needed these days. Um, so I'm looking at making a website called shamansammer.com. I already have the domain and everything. It's just a matter of time to build it. But for now, the best thing to do is just follow me on Instagram. And uh, I'm present in the Sacred Valley in Peru. I'm doing retreats with San Pedro, with hiking, with food therapy, sound therapy, and ayahuasca. So whoever is interested, they can find my website, samadihealing.com, and there are some retreats there. And if, uh, if, if people are interested in working with you, you do one-on-one -on -one work, or it's retreat where there's certain times that people come? Yes, there are retreats online, uh, as I just said, but if someone needs to uh, a one-on-one, -on -one, of course, they can contact me. I work with a lot of people who have, uh, uh, you know, mystery diseases that have been, they've been suffering from pain for 20 years and they don't know what to do anymore. And 
usually we we do a combination of food therapy and uh, and some tinctures and allow the person to you know release uh, all the stagnations. So yes, this is also a possibility. Mm-hmm. Well, great. Well, thank you very much. That was a pleasure for me. Thank you for coming on. I, I appreciate you and your time and sharing your knowledge. And I, I think people will get a lot out of this. And I, I hope some people reach out to you too and and just keep. Uh, uh, I've said this in a number of podcasts, but there's a, there's a guy who I have a lot of respect for. His name is Amika. I, I actually interviewed him. He, he okay. comes from the the Colombian Amazon, a group of people called the Tubu. And uh, it's very interesting because in 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 his uh, in his people's legends, uh, they they speak that in this time uh, there's these people that are emerging called the Diro Amasa, which is the children of the new dawn, right. and that they they have the ability to take the medicine from the four directions, which you know is essentially the earth. Uh, uh-huh and to take that knowledge and to harmonize it, to bring it together, to create a new maloka, which is symbolic not only of, of the house and of the, the tribe, the cosmovision, but, but of the world, of the universe. So it's very much this idea of creating a new earth. And, uh, and so I think uh, you know, people like you are, are doing that and, and living that, that legend yeah. and philosophy. And, and I think, like you said, uh, you know, the, the more people who do that, who who come from a place of not trying to separate, of trying to build bridges, of harmonizing, of, of, of taking, you know, all that's good. And, and there's so much right. good in the world and, and, and helping to transmute and share that. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. It is indeed. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you, Jason. <laughs> pleasure of mine. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is it. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Samerd. Uh, I very much enjoyed sitting down and, and talking to him, picking his brain a little bit, having him sharing his knowledge. Uh, for me, it's always a, really a pleasure when, when people come on and share. I think it's a very, uh, it's a very genuine thing and, and a very meaningful thing. And, and a big reason why I started this podcast was to have people who I think really have a a solid grasp of this work come on and, and share in their wisdom and I, I think it's a beautiful thing that we live in a time where we're really able to do that uh, and to listen and to learn from afar so uh, a thank you to Samerd um, thank you all for tuning in as always if you're able to support this podcast if you feel like you're gaining something from it that's a really big help to me to continue to be able to do it uh, Patreon is a, a really good way you can sign up there's different tiers you can sign up for for as little as a dollar a month you can sign up uh, and with those different tiers, you get different things back, things like early access to shows, bonus material, Q&As, uh, and that's a really big help to allow me to continue to make these podcasts. To all the people who have done that, to all the patrons, thank you very much. I, I really appreciate your support. Um, there's also the ability to direct donate via PayPal. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Also with the YouTube channel now, you can uh, join the YouTube channel, and that gives you a lot of the same perks as the Patreon page. Um If you're not able to support in that way, uh, just uh, really simple things like subscribing to the show is a really big help. So if you're viewing on YouTube, hitting the subscribe button, turning on the notification bell, liking the video, uh, leaving comments in the comments section, all of those things really help with the uh, mysterious algorithms to hopefully get this show out to a bigger and broader audience. Um, If you're listening uh, on on whatever podcast, 
network that is, uh, also subscribing to the show or following. And, uh, and if you're able to going on Apple podcasts and leaving a starred rating and a short review, that's also a really big help. So uh, I'm actually shooting this uh, episode uh, quite a bit in advance, probably a month or more in advance, because uh, fairly soon I'll be headed to the jungle uh, to, to do some work there. Um, and I, I most likely won't have very good internet access, so I'm shooting a number of these in advance so that I can just publish them while I'm, I'm down there. Uh, so I'm not exactly sure the order and the following guests that are coming out, but probably when this comes out, um, the next guests I'll be interviewing are some of the people who I work with down in the jungle. Uh, probably a Matses elder who I hope to interview, some of the Shpibo healers, Gorenderos, and, uh, and hopefully my main teacher, uh, who works with tobacco. And, um, so there should be some, uh, some good episodes coming up, I hope. So thank you all for tuning in. Uh, I appreciate all of the support. I hope you all are well, and I will see you all on the next episode.